0: Here in our Monster Month series on fantastical truth, if it's not one creepy critter we're facing, it's another. Next to rise up moaning, not from the crypt as before, but from the secret lab, it's mad scientists. Whether it's Victor Frankenstein from Frankenstein or all of those Marvel villains or the folks who let loose the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park or the real world scientists actively trying to experiment on humans in the real world, mad science just won't stop. What is unique about these monsters and the monsters they make? Why do mad scientists seem to take the devil's promise, you will be like God, as their gospel? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world world. I'm Steve Stephen Burnett, the hopefully sane publisher of Lorehaven. I'm also the co-author of a book called The Pop Culture Parent.
1: And I'm Zachary Russell, and even though I love science and technology, I am doing my best to not become what C.S. Lewis called a man-molder or a conditioner. And this is episode 134, Why Do Mad Scientists Keep Trying to Make Monsters?
0: This is another episode in our Monster Month series going on through October for Fantastical Truth. Happy spooky season, one and all. We still haven't done the Why Christians Should or Shouldn't Celebrate Halloween-slash-Fall Festival episode, Zach. I think we've done that before. You might find that link in our show notes. You might not, but we're going to have other links in our show notes because this mad science is going on everywhere, and I had to be really careful going into my secret lab, what I mixed together uh, to make this concoction of notes for this episode because we could go in so many directions. Uh, We've actually already had an episode about uh, mad science examples in fiction. This one, we're going to go a little bit deeper into their psyche. Uh, We're going to be starting from scripture, not from psychoanalysis, because that way lies madness, I think, at least for us who are not trained in this. But we are trained in some Bible, Uh, so we're going to be asking, what is it, as we said in the intro, that mad scientists seem to believe that keeps sending them toward these mad science experiments in our reality?
1: It's sometimes hard to put your finger on it because... Hey, hasn't science given us longer life, better living conditions, air conditioning, life extending medication technology that helps uh, people who are disabled uh, have kind of a new lease on life? Like, well, what's the big deal? Why are you so anti-science, Steven? Don't you trust the science?
0: I don't know a person named the science. I don't know a <laughs> God named the science. I don't know a Pantheon named the science. I trust in some scientists, I trust in the idea of knowledge-seeking, I trust in the cultural mandate that God has given us, which includes science. I believe science is a gift of God, but as we say in our concession stand, that I'll get to in just a moment, every gift of God can be twisted by corrupt, sin-stained humanity. In our flesh, we want to grab his gifts from him, there's a little internet cartoon where someone gives a gift to someone else and says, this is yours, well, how does it go? Like, this is yours? Oh yeah, yeah, this is mine. It's, and then the other guy says, uh, this is mine now. We don't wanna do that with God's gifts, so that's why we're challenging this mad science, which of course has its examples in many works of fiction, that we're only gonna reference those briefly here and there, but that leads me to our cover sponsor for this episode, Oasis Family Media once again, and this is their product description. There is something at work in my soul which I do not understand. Pushing the limits of science and morality in his search for acceptance and purpose, Victor Frankenstein unleashes on the world a creation that he cannot control. To celebrate the 200th anniversary of Mary Shelley's gothic novel, A.S. Peterson adapts the tale for the stage and creates an experience that will leave you pondering your own sense of belonging. This week's episode is sponsored by Oasis Audio, publishers of Frankenstein, a multi-cast production of the stage adaptation. This and other great titles by Oasis are available wherever audiobooks can be purchased or streamed. You can get the links at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors or the basic link in our show notes for episode 133 for Frankenstein from Amazon, Audible, and on SoundCloud Zach, I know they did a Frankenstein. with some of the folks from Rabbit Room. Now I'm really looking forward uh, to listening to that.
1: Yes, uh, kind of like we've been talking about with Dracula. It's, it's great to go back to the original source material for books that have inspired so many stories today. And this is one I need to add to my list as well.
0: From there, I think maybe we'll avoid the concession stand. Uh, instead, I think this is the disclaimers you get from the benevolent henchman or officer or somebody who always has some warning to give before the mad scientist goes into his lab to do what ought not to be done a crime against nature so here are the disclaimers against our mad science experiments first off as i mentioned uh, we've already been talking about why real researchers aren't heeding the warnings about mad science from fiction that was in episode 60 so this episode is a spiritual sequel to that one Back then, we surveyed ideas about gene editing, sentient robots, and transhumanism. Uh, Zag was in the pilot seat for that particular episode. Much of that episode, we were asking, what is going on? Uh, A lot of uh, fiction comparisons there. This episode is a little different. As I mentioned, we're going to ask, why? Why do mad scientists do this? This episode also focuses more on the mad science going on in the real world. Now that we've moved past the warnings of the fiction, it seems that the frontiers are flung open. We don't have to have any concessions or disclaimers. Man was meant to meddle, and science is good. Trust the science, even if the science is wearing a white lab coat and cackling madly with reflective goggles on. It's probably not a good posture to be in. Even the mad scientists may not look like that, they may look really a benign Zach and I found this uh, this stock art uh, that we're using for the, uh, the screenshot for the or the uh, featured image for this episode it looks like a rather benign fellow there in a lab, uh, but uh, he may have some not so benign sinister. motives. Yeah. Just a little sinister, yes. Yeah, so the image there is suggestive of ill intent. Uh, we're not trying to accuse people. We're not saying that everybody has ill motives, but I mean, folks, we are Christians. We believe something about human nature, and it's not that human nature is basically good. That means that stuff that humans do is not always basically good. And stories have been warning us about this before. And Mad Science ignored their warnings. And then unfortunately, and this could be a whole other episode, uh, some of the Mad Science stories started changing. I think Marvel is actually a good example. Uh, One of the fairly recent uh, pictures of a Mad Scientist in a Marvel movie was actually in Spider-Man, the original, Sam Raimi, 2002. Dr. Norman Osborn goes back to formula. And he turns himself into a raging lunatic who flies around on a glider and throws pumpkin bombs. Very seasonal this time of year. He goes mad. He is a mad science. He craves power and all kinds of other things. Success, obviously. And then he turns himself into a monster. New Marvel in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron uh, 2015. How long was that afterwards? About 13 years? Yeah, I think so. Tony Stark also makes a monster, uh, a robot who goes mad. Uh, That would be Ultron, but interestingly enough, uh, Tony Stark in this story uh, seems to learn from his mistake, uh, get some better technology, and then he goes into the lab again, and even though everybody is standing around warning him with concessions and disclaimers, Tony Stark makes another android, and this one is called Vision, but Vision is a good guy, and there are reasons for that in the movie, and I actually like Age of Ultron more than other fans. It's just an example of having the mad scientist, uh, Tony Stark, or I guess kind of a mad scientist there. He's a really a sane scientist with um, uh, ambitions that are a little too high, but I, I think it counts that he's trying to act in favor of humanity uh, Tony's not trying to make himself into a God there. It's just a more positive view of the science who's messing with things that you think you ought not to mess with. And when I quote that phrase, the man was not meant to meddle medley. I wonder how many takes it took for Robert Downey Jr. to say that. Uh, that's from him. Uh, that's from Tony Stark in this movie. Again, in a newer Marvel movie, uh, just this past uh, Christmas as we record, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, Green Goblin returns, a lot of the mad scientist villains return, and Peter Parker, a good scientist uh, in this story, is trying to cure them. So science is the answer in this case, even though uh, these villains started with some rather in-depth spiritual problems, particularly Green Goblin, that led them to try the mad science on themselves. So What happens when they go back to their corners of the multiverse? They still have the sin nature in them, even though Peter Parker has cured villains like Electro and Green Goblin. I think Doc Ock is the exception.
1: Avengers 2 really surprised me. When Ultron became this monster, basically, that started destroying everything, I thought there's no way he's going to try to do the same thing again. Uh, He he being Tony Stark. I thought there's going to be some other solution to this, and then he goes and creates Vision, and I'm like, so, what is the moral of the story? you just you just got to do the science better? It was a very curious ending to that story that that turned out to be the the solution is that he just basically did the same thing he did before. he just did it better rather than there being a fundamentally different solution. So I think about that a lot i'm I'm not really sure what uh, the message of that is, but I guess you could say it's a more a, a value or ethics driven science that's better than a Valueless or a kind of unbounded science? Maybe that's what the answer is. I don't know.
0: Right. And again, I would defend Age of Ultron. I think it's better than a lot of people think. And I'm a hostile witness there because Joss <laughs> Whedon ended up, the, the director, he ended up being not at all good news. But he was definitely putting a, a classic humanist theme in there. Uh, he wasn't leaving Tony Stark in a moral gray area. Yes, Tony made some very bad decisions, but in that case, he at least had better motives than somebody like uh, Norman Osborne. Uh, over in the other side of the Marvel movie multiverse there. We're going to assume here, though, we're not going to try to prove that there do exist such things as mad scientists in our real world, and they really do want to make monsters. The reason why we assume this is because we believe that humans are sinful from birth. That is a biblical doctrine. Christians believe different things about that. But apart from Jesus All the thoughts of our hearts are set on evil continually. There is good in the world. Yes, science is a good. uh, There are good things that people can do. Jesus says uh, that even evil evil people want to give good gifts to their children. There's such a thing as common grace, but there is also such a thing as human depravity. And so we're going to focus on that here. Hey, it's spooky season and human depravity is nothing if not spooky. So it's just appropriate. Science, like human beings, started out as a good gift. As I mentioned before, in our sin, we can twist any good thing apart from its purpose. We want to steal the gift from God and use it in ways that violate the terms of service, and therefore we fall. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in The Great Divorce, uh, put some words in the mouth of a fictional version of George MacDonald there, saying in so many words uh, that if you are a strong creature, if you're in some ways a, a high creature, the most good creature who falls, the strongest fallen angel makes for a fiercer devil so science is good you know a very highly trained specialized qualified scientist who ends up in some kind of political entanglement or ends up wanting to you know put a bunch of dead body parts together and uh, create life from decomposing corpse Uh, this can happen a good scientist can fall and become a fiercer devil and we're also going to assume the ending here no twist ending really the whole cliche of many classic mad science monster stories is to ask well who was the real monster all along is it frankenstein's monster or is it frankenstein i think there was a meme a while ago zach which said uh, like you know uh, something like uh, being smart you know uh, that frankenstein's monster is not named frankenstein but wisdom means that you know that frankenstein is is the the monster. monster yeah Is Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. no twist ending here. It's just a matter of showing our work to get there. And finally, some of this, especially when we're talking about real-world examples, will touch on some politics, but only touch it. I'm not going to go near that particular rotting corpse to try to bring life out of it. We're going to focus on culture here as best we can.
1: Yeah, and Stephen, you mentioned real-world mad scientists, and uh, the source I'm going to be going to for this is uh, a man named Yuval... Noah Harari, he is a historian by training. Uh, he wrote a book called *Homo Deus: A Brief History of Tomorrow*, and uh, Rod Dreher calls it uh, terrible in terms of prescription because it's basically, "Hey, how can we make the um, scientific dystopia of the Brave New World uh, novel come to life in in real life? Like, how can that become a utopia and not a dystopia?" And so, I'm going to be quoting a little bit from him. I'm going to be quoting from uh, Abolition of Man, which I just finished. So I'm looking forward to this discussion.
0: Just some light reading there in the Russell household. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that too. It's been a while since I've read uh, Abolition of Man, uh, another great C.S. Lewis book there. Let's move to chapter one of this discussion, Mad Science Monsters Want Power. Yeah, I'm just going to say it directly like that. And I think that's not because there's something unique Uh, About the mad scientist. It means he wants power more than other people. I think it's just he has more training, uh, he has more skills, qualification, government funding, secret labs, all the rest of it, uh, and therefore has more tools at his disposal to seek the kind of power apart from God that, by our sinful nature, most humans want to do anyway. I think that's why many Christians fear human power. Uh, That's why, when we get into our political discussions, a lot of people just shy away from any expression of any cultural power whatsoever. Uh, Zach, you've seen these discussions in social media where uh, Christians will just uh, blanch, recoil, uh, like a vampire from sunlight, uh, as it were, uh, when someone says, well, we need to pass a law against this particular mad science. And the Christian who fears power can only think of the examples he's seen where power has been corrupted, uh, usually in the local church back home that he remembers. And so, like, no, we don't want to have power. We don't want to have cultural power. This isn't the way of Jesus. And We're just supposed to be servants. We're supposed to be loving. We're supposed to be caring. And they assume that power is bad. I don't assume that. God is all-powerful. God is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. So power is also a good gift of God. Having control over things goes back to the very construction of creation. God makes his creation. He gives human beings the power to act as his regents. But then we took that gift and we squandered it. We twisted it. Really common thing we'll see uh, going forward into this discussion Uh, We've seen years of uh, people rightly and wrongly fearing this bad power, but that whole discussion about power and its corruption goes back a lot older than that. Whether it's climatology or planning a war, uh, we've seen scientists, mad and otherwise, who seem to like very much being in control of stuff. Now, again, I don't want to keep making this disclaimer, but I do have that t-shirt I've mentioned in previous episodes. A t-shirt says, God created science. Science is powerful. It's a good power to have. So is being in control. Being in control is fun. Like I like planning this episode. There's some control there. We collaborate on this. uh, So I guess there's some built-in sharing of power there. But I like publishing Lorehaven. I like making a story. I like planning my day. Like being in control, being in power is fun to an extent. And I think that's what God has made us to do. But when we have authority over other people, I think that this can get more dangerous. The temptations start to pile up we have access to more secret lab equipment and money and knowledge, uh, then we are at greater risk of falling even further. I think that's why scripture does warn about power. It recognizes that this can happen to kings and even soldiers. Uh, There's a better example of a soldier with power in Luke 7, 8. That's the centurion who comes to Christ to beg him to heal his servant. And he says, uh, he just gives a little soliloquy about power. Like, I have all these people under my authority. I can tell them what to do but here I am asking you to please help me. Uh, That's good. That's a good use of power. It wasn't wrong for the soldier, the centurion, even in a Gentile government, to do what he did. Uh, That's a good idea. Organizations are necessary. Uh, Kings are a good idea. Presidents, uh, power-sharing representative republics like the United States has. Order is better than disorder. But we derive this gift from God. We derive this power from him. We have no authority without him. Uh, I remember Jesus saying that to Pontius Pilate, like you would have no authority in the human government realm unless it were given to you from above. Uh, Pilate, of course, misused his power there, just says mad scientists will misuse their power now. And that's why I have to admit I'm skeptical about the science or the consensus or the secular scientists. Now, that doesn't mean I disagree with any particular Uh, reigning theories right now, or say that everybody who believes those are mad. It just means that I'm not predisposed to believe them. Like, just because you've got a series of initials after your name, uh, or have all the prestigious degrees, or all the government funding, or the secret labs, or the public labs, or whatever. Um, I don't trust the scientist cabal, uh, the scientist group, uh, any more than I would uh, by nature trust a particular. A group of christian leaders i, I mean i want to act in good faith i don't want to be a jerk uh, or or just be constantly suspecting or coming up with conspiracy theories because that way also lies a kind of madness i'm just saying i'm going to be at best neutral i'm not going to assume that because a scientist or group of scientists tells you something that therefore i'm going to believe it I think it's naive to assume that human beings, by virtue of getting all their degrees and their science skills, are going to be above temptations to power and control. And I think that goes double uh, when the science meets government bureaucracy, uh, another infamous hotbed of uh, power seeking there.
1: Yeah, so one thing that Harari talks about is that the algorithm knows you better than you know yourself. And he, you know, he asked actually kind of an interesting question. Why do all these big tech companies spend hundreds of billions of dollars on these apps that they give away for free? It's because the data they can collect and sell can be used to control you and have this power over you that you don't even realize is going on. I mean, that that's a very valuable thing. And he he talks about how there will be algorithms that can tell you if you're gay or or if you're trans or, or whatever, and that that these algorithms will kind of dictate every aspect of your life. And and they already kind of are. But Dreher goes into more detail about this in the article we'll link to in the show notes. Dreher says, um, Ferrari understands that modernity has a way of dissolving all inherited sacred stories. Here's a key paragraph from Homo Deus that is incredibly important. So, quote, Yet, in fact, modernity is a surprisingly simple deal. The entire contract can be summarized in a single phrase humans agree to give up meaning in exchange for power.
0: I think that that is scarily honest there uh, to see <laughs> that from a real world person. Speaking of knowledge versus power, uh, as I mentioned, we were just watching a uh, uh, Batman V Superman uh, the other night, again, uh, working up toward a uh, black Adam here in a hopeful Snyder restoration in the fictional world. Uh, but one of the uh, famous lines, at least locally famous that Lex Luthor says he's giving a, a speech at a party in which he's just sort of waxing eloquent about a bunch of things. And let me see if I get the quote up here. Uh, He says, The bittersweet pain among men is having knowledge with no power, because that is paradoxical. Mm. Uh, Lex feels powerless, but he has all this knowledge, because this is like the big tech version of uh, Lex Luthor, Superman's famous enemy. And uh, I did find that unique uh, among mad scientists portrayed uh, in the movies, uh, because... It's a a reminder that a lot of these people are running the algorithms and all that, like they're gaining power because they're gaining knowledge. Uh, They are simulating omniscience uh, and therefore are able to simulate omnipotence. And that is indeed scary, uh, particularly because a lot of these people are not being informed any longer uh, by the remnants of a Christian ish culture. What they're doing is not neutral, they're accepting a version of secular religion. And that alone is scary, just being kind of neutral and secular and just impartial to all religions. But it's even scarier when they do get religion, uh, because then you get some secular moralism moving in there. And now you've got a big tech mogul, a mad scientist, uh, as it were, who has access to all this knowledge and then is being told by the most religious people in his circles. Well, now you have to use this for good. Uh, You need to make sure that certain knowledge is more important than other knowledge. And some views are just uh, not moral anymore. So they need to be uh, censored. Uh, You get uh, that toxic mix in there of this uh, simulated omniscience, uh, all knowledge. And then you get uh, this attempt at power. uh, And then you mix in there kind of the volatile ingredient, which is the secular moralism, this false morality. Then I think the secret lab just explodes. It's not going to hold together for long. Uh, and it's going to be a powder keg for culture, by the way. And enough said about that. We'll move on. But I, I think I would just sum up here is that this is the first attribute, the first uh, gift that people, mad scientists are trying to steal from God in order to use in their secret lab. And that's this illusion that they can be like God by wielding the power of God.
1: Yeah. Uh, Harari goes on to say, we don't need any gods to limit our power and give us meaning. Oh, my yeah. And he says, uh, the free choices of customers and voters supply us with all the meaning we require. What then will happen once we realize that customers and voters never make free choices? And once we have the technology to calculate, design, or outsmart their feelings. So then he, he says, you know, the whole human experience is just a, another designable product. You know, ultimately he is a materialist. He doesn't believe in the existence of the soul. He's a, just a strict evolutionist. If you don't think there's God or there's a soul, then then why not just design the best human experience you can get? And it's weird though, Stephen, because it's like, and Drehr points this out, that in part, he's not wrong. I mean, human desire for you know a better life is, is good, to be free from pain, suffering, or even death, which we'll talk about in a minute. But then he, he basically has no limiting principle, that anything in service of these goals is good is there a limit? I think that's kind of what we're asking is, is there a a stopping point after which science does become mad science? And it seems to very much correspond with this idea that we can become our own gods.
0: Yeah. Zach, if this guy's going to be our foil for the episode, and I think he seems to have rightly earned the role there. Uh, It (laughs) sounds like he's not the type of guy with a secret lab. He sounds like he's more of a mad science philosopher, but unfortunately this is the type of influence that the actual mad scientists are listening to. Maybe even before they're mad, right? Uh, this guy seems—I don't know—is he's in a place of authority. His rhetoric is powerful. He's making some very bold claims, but he sounds like, at least in that quote, is saying the right things about democracy and free markets. So oh, yes. that could be tempting, regardless of what your a political perspective is, because he's talking about consumers and voters. Like, well, like we're capitalists. Like we like consumption. Like, I uh, don't know if I like it described that way. Uh, well, we're democ- we believe in democracy. We like voting. like uh, That doesn't mean we believe in pure democracy mob rule there, uh, at least in America. We are a representative republic, all these different government relationships. And more on that in another episode. It just sounds like he's being uh, very cautious with his language, at least there, uh, and trying to work out the logical conclusions of what uh, right-wing people already believe, frankly. There's no easy way to segue from that scariness to a different type of scariness in our second sponsor for this episode. This is the publisher Mountain Brook Fire featuring Wraithwood by Alyssa Roat. Here's the description. In the Realm Award winning novel Wraithwood, Arthurian legend is far from dead. Brinny has always lived a quiet life under the watchful eye of her hovering mother until she sent off for the summer to live with an uncle she didn't know she had wraithwood estate her uncle's creepy old mansion holds as many secrets as the man himself as unnatural events take place and Brittany hears whispers of a hidden war she must unravel the truth about her family's mysterious past if she wants to survive available wherever books are sold you can see the links in our show notes for episode 134 or go to lorehaven.com podcast sponsors
1: So, Stephen, you're right in that this guy Harari is not, uh, I guess, a scientist, but he does seem to be informing the scientists uh, on the global stage through the World Economic Forum. And there is a clip that resurfaced recently from a talk he gave about four years ago. And he says uh, something that's going to lead into chapter two in just three words. Organisms are algorithms. And so a human being is no different from any other organism on Earth that we can we're just biochemical algorithms he says human beings can be hacked just like a computer algorithm or a virus or or whatever and wh- why shouldn't we you know what's stopping us if there's no god then let's just create people in a better image as
0: if it's not scary enough for the mad scientist to crave power over other people Chapter two explores how these mad scientist monsters actually want to modify people. They want to claim the right to create or recreate a right that does belong to God himself. Uh, I count that as another component from God's laboratory that uh, mad scientists in our sin are stealing uh, to use in their own secret evil labs, and that is the gift of creation. This is where it gets a little scarier here, folks, because I could just spend all this time ranting about the various headlines I've seen uh, about legislators trying to, for example, uh, sign over the rights of parents in the state to raise their kids over to social scientists and other mad scientists uh, who want to modify the kids, literally, like modify their bodies. This I do count as abuse, and it is, I think, a mad science that abuses other people and uses their body parts to attempt recreating that person. Uh, It could add so many other concession stand items here, but if you've been tracking the news too, uh, you know what's going on out there. This is scary stuff, and I can only deal with this as a Christian. I can only look at this and go, and it helps me to sympathize with the mad scientists as well, because we all share this condition as fallen humans apart from God Our call to create stuff, the cultural mandate to go out and steward God's resources, uh, to make stuff using God's stuff in the world, that call goes completely mad. Uh, We now want to remix the components of creation. We are meddling. We are playing at being God. All the tropes of the mad science warning stories are true in this case. Uh, Back in 2003, I mentioned this on the podcast before when we were talking about future predictions. I had this uh, coffee table style book called The Catalog of Tomorrow. I think they were intending to release a new one each year, but I don't know whether they did. There were a lot of predictions in that book, though, that actually turned out correct. Digital paper like the Kindle uses, uh, mobile computing, that kind of thing. But one of the predictions in that book that I remember the most is body modification. Uh, It suggested that people could use a kind of medical treatments to go beyond tattoos and weird piercings and things like that. Uh, but that they could actually, for example, tap into human bone marrow in order to give us horns and uh, claws and other protrusions like that, uh, just as a mode of self-expression. You know, the catalog of tomorrow wasn't trying to judge. Uh, Maybe in the future, we could embed electronic devices in ourselves. Well, that's a little scary, particularly if you come from a dispensational background and you don't want the microchips uh, (laughs) that are the mark of the beast in your forehead or right hand. Thank you very much. The one thing, though, that the catalog didn't predict was the evil of sexual imperialism, that people would be wanting to modify their bodies in the future, not just as self-expression like getting a tattoo of a biker dude or something, uh, but actually tampering with some really valuable equipment that God gave you for healthier sexual expression uh, in order to go for the mad science uh, way of looking at sexuality. And that could, again, be a whole other episode. I just want to disclaim myself real quick here and uh, note my introduction into the podcast of the phrase sexual imperialism. I'll probably run this phrase into the ground. Uh, there's a great term for it uh, that already is being used by a lot of Christians and other folks opposed to this. We call it the sexual revolution. But I now think that this is an attempted imperialist movement. Uh, these folks, uh, in their madness, uh, in their, they think they're doing right, but they want total victory. Uh, and they, they want a kind of cultural imperialism there. I think it was actually Andrew Claven who used the phrase, uh, he may have borrowed it from someone else. Maybe he's a secondary source, but that's where I get it. That, though, I think makes us the revolutionaries, uh, and this, again, could be a whole other episode. How do we resist bad science, like in the future? Your method of being a revolutionary may vary. I'm not talking about uh, actual revolution or anything like that. I'm just talking about on the field of imagination belief. Uh, as Christians, at least as fantastical fan Christians, I think the best way I know of to resist this attempt by scientists to recreate man in the image that we've made up for ourselves, I think the best method we have of resisting that is appealing to the human imagination. We already have stories that warn against this if we are humble enough to listen to them. And yet I think this is another way of trying to recreate people, but it's the legitimate expression. Uh, It's not going out there to uh, tear somebody up and put them back together again uh, like Victor Frankenstein. It's changing someone from the inside out, uh, appealing to their minds, their hearts, their imaginations. Stories can remake people from the inside, though. It is a kindler, gentler, more human way of helping to change a person. And I would say that it's closer to the work of the Holy Spirit uh, that the mad science is mocking here. Uh, This brutal way of changing people with tools and chemicals and things like that, uh, this is a mockery of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does bring spiritually dead people back to life. Uh, This is not Frankenstein experimentation here. Uh, This is a spiritual reality uh, that mad science can only attempt uh, with disastrous results. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to raise spiritually dead humans back to life. Only God can change people from the inside out. And of course, we have the hope of the resurrection in the future. Uh, God will literally bring dead bodies back to life, not Frankenstein style, uh, but in the way it was meant to. Uh, God alone has the right to raise spiritually dead people and raise physically dead people. God alone has the right of creator, and he has the right of recreator.
1: Yeah, I think sexual imperialism is exactly the right term for this, and I think it really underlies the political, religious movement that's sort of happening right now. A lot of people say they reject Christianity because of the limits it places on sexuality or even gender, gender roles, things like that, or at least what they perceive it to be um, placing on people. And it's, it's those limits that people don't like. So they reject uh, Christian ethics and teaching. They reject God. But then they realize that there is a gap in their their life, that they need some kind of religion. And so I think that's why we're seeing this rise of Gnosticism in taking many different forms. The way that we're seeing it is people saying, well, my sex is my body. My gender is my spirit, like my gender identity. And therefore, and the, the spirit overrides the physical, and that almost sounds right. But, you know, then it leads to this desire for a superpower, a supernatural element of this religion. And that's being brought about by technology and biochemistry and creating this new sort of uh, quasi-technological religion. But um, Harari talks about in this book, uh, he predicts that, quote, in the 21st century, we will create more powerful fictions and more totalitarian religions than in any previous era. With the help of biotechnology and computer algorithms, these religions will not only control our minute-by-minute existence, but will be able to shape our bodies, brains, and minds and to create entire virtual worlds complete with hells and heavens, being able to distinguish fiction from reality and religion from science will therefore become more difficult but more vital than ever before. End quote. So again, I read Harari and I'm like, I don't really know whose side he's on because it seems, like, it seems like a prescription for mad science that's kind of self-aware and he's kind of realizing that, well, maybe this is going too far, but he doesn't really... I don't exactly know what his limiting principle is, but I think he's exactly right. And Dreher talks about this over and over again, that Harari seems to know what's happening, but he doesn't exactly seem to have a problem with it. But yes, it, it's this uh, combination of religion and science and technology, biotechnology, and creating stories, these virtual worlds and where you can be anything. And that's the draw of it, is that it's this power of the gods to create in whatever image you want. Based on the quotes you've read, Zach, it sounds like he may have
0: given his limiting principle, and it seems to be, again, just based on what I've heard, what will people buy and what will people vote for? So his (laughs) priorities are just downright uh, traditional democracy there, right? Like, well, sometimes people want something evil. Uh, What he seems to be doing there is actually appealing to the imagination just say, hey, isn't this amazing, the stuff that we could do? Uh, But he's also just speculating. Like, I've read a lot of uh, books that are nonfiction science fiction. Uh, They're talking about, you know, putting colonies on uh, Titan, uh, the moon uh, Titan, or making nanotechnology. And it's uh, highly speculative. It's highly speculative. Now, of course, there are many books like that that have gone from speculation to reality, uh, even the catalog of tomorrow uh, that I mentioned. So I'm sure these people are just, you know, Taking a shot, trying their luck uh, at the uh, the shooting gallery of uh, scientific progress. There, someone's going to be right, and then that person will be uh, a prophet in retrospect, and that person will therefore have proven to have had knowledge of the future. Uh, yet another prerogative uh, that comes from God Almighty alone. Yeah, uh, again, scary stuff. Uh, you were mentioned that quote there, Zach, and I'm I'm just kind of shivering over here. I don't know if I can take much more, but it is spooky season. (laughs) Uh, We must, we must go further into the haunted house, uh, even if there is a secret lab in the dungeon. But before we do that, let's take a quick detour by our third sponsor for this episode, David Umstadt, author of the Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded. Gonna be a book, but for now it's a podcast. Pilgrim's Progress is a classic story of redemption, allegory, and theological poignance that has profoundly impacted millions of readers over three centuries and changed the landscape of English literature forever. It's also a story with a total lack of robots, space marines, or talking platypuses. So we fixed that. You're welcome. Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded is a narrative podcast you can listen to on the podcast app you're using right now. Just search for Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded to start listening for free You can get that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of those other platforms. Links in the show notes for episode 134 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors to see the amazing cover for the Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded and other details. Zach, do you want to live forever? Of course. Of course. We all do. Yeah. Who doesn't want to live forever? Uh, I don't want to die. You don't want to die. Uh, Anybody who wants to die, well, that's another issue. Uh, Even they seek a form of happiness. Uh, Everybody has that survival instinct that God has given us. I'm not opposing that. We were originally meant to live forever. But chapter three reminds us that mad science monsters want eternal life one way or another. But the ways that they're trying to get it uh, is either ineffective or terrifying or both. I think that's the third gift of God, the attribute of God, that evil will corrupt. God has power. God has the right and the power of creation, and God has power over life itself. God alone is the original eternal being in three persons, all living forever in harmony. And then they make human beings also meant to live forever. Uh, but Adam and Eve decided that they would know things better their way. And so uh, the original mad scientific experiment, they decided to run a test. On their environment, and we have been reaping the terrible benefits ever since. Uh, of course, uh, Zach, uh, in our previous episode, we talked about transhumanism, uh, which is like the overt expressions of man trying to do these crazy speculative experiments to live forever. Uh, mad scientist wants to, you know, stop aging. Uh, mad scientist or sane scientists, like it's okay to try to stop aging. Like if we can get another thirty years out of life on old Earth, I'd be all for it. Let's see if we can push this to 150 with better treatments, cure cancer, whatever. I'm all for it. I want modern medicine. Uh, But the guy who's trying to upload his consciousness into a machine is probably going a little too far. Yeah, that guy is probably mad. If he's thinking about it, he's on the way toward madness. Uh, If he's actually doing it, uh, he is already a mad scientist. But I'm thinking of another way that this craving for eternal life works out, and it's a little more subtle in what uh, mad scientists or just scientists do. Uh, and I'm thinking of the constant references to being on the right side of history. I think that folks who are trying to find their place on the right side of history, uh, using that phrase in the way that we generally hear it now, uh, they're seeking a kind of eternal notoriety. They know they're gonna be dead and gone. Uh, they know that it's just gonna be a blackout, right? Because a lot of these folks aren't really into religious hope for afterlife. So this is the next best thing. I may not live forever. But my name will live forever. And I think of these attempts to gain power or mastery over recreating man. uh, That seems to be an attempt to also gain that kind of immortality, that uh, forever notoriety, to be praised and well-known for generations. I think that's something that may fly under the radar here. Uh, Most mad scientists we know are just kind of these low-grade folks just trying to get along, uh, trying to find hope somewhere in the hopelessness. I don't think they're trying to live forever by transhumanist attempts. Uh, but they want their names to be great. Uh, I think this is an attempt to seek glory uh, that without Christ, without the gospel trespasses again against God himself, uh, the God who tells us in Isaiah 42, eight, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory. I will not give to another.
1: Yeah. I'm going to have to disagree a little bit with you there, Stephen. Uh These mad scientists that I've mentioned, you know, they, they do want to live forever virtually. Uh, So I mentioned how Harari and uh, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, who is totally not a Bond villain, um, they had a discussion a while back and said that, oh, yeah, everyone's going to have a brain implant and you'll have eternal life in the digital realm. And so, you know, the the eternal destination for all people is going to be the metaverse or whatever it's going to be called. And again, this, this comes from this Gnostic belief that, uh, that the body and the soul are separate and the soul is going to live forever in this virtual bodiless world. And I was thinking, Stephen, that there's sort of this um, common error within Christianity that makes us vulnerable to this uh, you know, metaverse utopia, which is the idea that we're just going to live in heaven forever, rather than what the Bible actually tells us is that we are going to live in resurrected bodies on a physical redeemed earth. And I think it's so important to emphasize that over and over again to each other, because otherwise we could totally fall for these Gnostic heresies of metaverse eternal life.
0: Yeah. I don't see how that's a disagreement though. I I know that those wacky guys are out there. I just, I don't know if they're actually making machines to do it. I don't know if someone is actually thrown the giant switch in a shower of sparks, you know, with this encasement around his head in order to beam his consciousness, uh, into the computer somewhere. Uh, first that, I mean, that's not happening yet. They're just, I don't even know it. if They're that can happen, it.
1: but I, I, don't, I, I think can't they happen want it to happen. Yeah. If
0: they want to, I think that already makes them mad or on the, on the slope yes. toward madness. I guess I'm, I'm thinking more of the, uh, you know, the, the, the regular Joe Schmo scientist who isn't into all that. He may think it's gotcha. crazy, Uh, He thinks it's speculative at best and mad science at worst, but uh, maybe he with the aid of government grants or projects uh, using power and recreation of human beings to try to make his name great or her name. Great. uh, That's a kind of eternal life. uh, It's kind of a woeful substitute legacy. Yeah, exactly. And and, like Christians and people from other religions, like expect to actually live forever. Like whether you're floating around in a spiritoid dimension uh, as the, uh, Kind of the The more popular level uh evangelicalism has at least at one point uh held our eternal life to be in heaven lowercase h uh or other religions may have that as well, you know your consciousness absorbed, maybe you get reincarnated, whatever, and other religions um i'll take at least the Christianish spiritoid heaven over that stuff because at least they preserve Jesus Christ and that's the most important thing but yeah, actual Christians actually believe that we are actually going to live actually forever on the actual new earth, like real dirt real air real adventures real science with no madness whatsoever and everything done for the glory of god forever and ever maybe even spreading out to the entire universe over eternity because there's enough time to do everything we want to do for god's glory Uh, go back to our epic resurrection series for more on that i think that that's why it's so important for us to have this eternal perspective that's the phrase we can credit to uh, randy alcorn uh, the author of heaven I think that in some sense, and I'm not going to blame the church because, you know, I mean, we lose track of ideas like physical resurrection and the ramifications of that, uh, but I think that people who are kind of these lower-grade mad scientists, I mean, they've grown up in a culture now where they don't have that remnant of resurrection expectation. Uh, Zach, we've been talking at length about Dracula, and one thing that, one idea that permeates that book is a cultural expectation of resurrection uh it's not incidental to the plot i mean dracula is a parody of resurrection being undead is the satanic counterfeit of resurrection in this world Uh, it's all about people coming up out of the graves and not in the biblical way Uh, it's this counterfeit version and there's other ideas that a people are going to be raised to life someday and we need to make sure that happens and that's where the speculation starts you know I'm not sure that even if you were bitten by a vampire, that could separate you from Jesus. If you died in Christ, there's other elements there in the story. But Christians believe in resurrection, and most people in our culture have no idea what that is. Uh, They lost lost track of it. I don't think they know how truly eternally focused we are as Christians. We believe strongly and soberly that many of our most famous, most worldly-wise, wealthy, powerful people will vanish away, just cleared from the stage of creation. Uh, Some of their work may remain if it's good work, but that will include all of these terrible attacks on people and these attempts to grab power and these attempts to live forever one way or another. Uh, That will include all the people that did that uh, in the name of science every monster that they've made uh the cultural creations they've made the bad law the bad science that leads to people's ruin uh the bad social science that i mean we could have a whole episode about mad social science and that could probably be a little more politically charged because that's what they do they try to use politics to enact these things uh not just offer it up as a really good idea the laws being proposed now like actively seek to punish people who disagree with this stuff and that i think will be dealt with by god the judge at the end and every monster that they make every person every soul that they've uh, managed to ruin will either be restored to god or will be punished forever there's no middle ground there Uh, as we mentioned during the concession stand of course every mad scientist is the monster all along But at least for my part, I can draw to a little bit of a close here. Um, We may have some extra discussion after that. I would say, though, that that does lead to empathy. Every human being apart from Christ is the monster all along. Plot twist. Our evil mad science attempt started with the first uh, scientists, as it were, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. They were given control over creation. They were going to start doing some science the way that we would understand it. Whether or not they got started then, it's not recorded. But they tried the worst experiment ever. They listened to the original mad villain, Satan himself, we understand, who promised, as we mentioned in the intro, you will be like God. The experiment failed. They blew up the whole testing lab. All of creation now groans under the bad result of that experiment. And yet we do look forward to Jesus Christ Christ the true caretaker of creation our great physician he's going to fix it he's going to put the lab back together he's going to either cure the monsters or punish them I was putting the nose together Zach and I realized that a physician is a scientist and Christians have long referred to Jesus Christ as the great physician he's a famous title for him so that's something I don't hear about a lot is that Jesus in a way is the sane scientist who can fight and defeat the mad scientists. He is not mad. He does not make any monsters. He alone has these God attributes of power and creation and eternal life. And he's going to, he's going to cure the monsters. He's going to restore our souls and bodies. And we're going to live forever in him. And you know what? We're going to do sane science, not for our glory, but for his glory forever.
1: Yes. He is actually the scientist that I trust. Uh, Not these cheap substitutes we've been talking about. Um, another quote from Harari, it just it's so on the nose. He says, quote, The leading project of the scientific revolution is to give humankind eternal life. There we go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it just comes right out and says it. When I was mentioning him and Klaus Schwab earlier, they were talking about this future. What they In 10 years, they want to see a world where everyone has brain implants and nanobots in their bodies. Uh, the, the brain implants would give us sort of a digital ID. Which is what I think they were trying to bring about through the the COVID vaccine passport thing that is you know on people's smartphones right now. But they envision this future where that's in your body. and then you can have nanobots that will you know cure you of all diseases. But hmm, where have we seen nanobots uh, take over people's bodies and turn them into cybernetic monsters? Uh, pretty much every science fiction film, starting with uh, the Borg. In and Star Trek Cybermen, Next Generation. So and Doctor
0: Who, yeah. yeah. Digital <laughs> zombies have been a sci-fi trope for quite a while. It's, that's, an, I don't want your future. <laughs> <laughs> as they said in, uh, as they said in X-Men.
1: Yeah. So I love that we don't have to wait for this weird dystopian, maybe utopian future from, from these guys at the WEF. We, we have true eternal life waiting for us in the future, but we also have it now. When I became a Christian Stephen at a young life camp in high school, I remember this one camp counselor at this young life camp saying, "Hey, did you know that in John 10, Jesus says you have eternal life now, like you have the abundant life now. You don't just have to wait till you die and then you have eternal life. Like yes, our bodies are are going to die, but as Jesus said, you know, he who believes in me even though he dies," Will live. And if you believe in me, you'll never truly die. And so that is the promise that we have now. And, you know, that is what makes us immune from all this craziness happening right now. But it also protects us from all the normal anxieties and worries in life.
0: And that's a hope I really look forward to holding on to the rest of my life. And that's a hope that I see more powerfully thanks to stories about mad scientists yes in the real world but definitely in fiction where they're hopefully locked up and can't actually hurt anybody when they're in fiction that goes back to the episode we did for 132 here on the podcast zach do christians really need horror that's part of the monster month series that we're doing we do agree with having these kinds of stories not everyone Uh, But every once in a while, you need a story about a mad scientist. And I think we need more stories like that. I think this uh, represents an opportunity that Christians are not really picking up. I I don't see a lot of popular mad science stories going on from secular authors, but this is a legacy from secular authors of the past. This is wide open here, folks. And how much more now that we have so many more mad scientists running around like uh, this guy you've been quoting from, Zach. We need more stories that play out the consequences of such madness. And any Christian creators out there, uh, this is kind of a wide-open opportunity for you. If we find any of those great stories at Lorehaven, we will review them. If they're good, uh, we will promote them. Just let us know. You can send us a note like the ones I'm about to read in our comm station here. We're going to open up a secret lab here in the Lorehaven basement, clear things out, Try not to be so mad. Uh, look to the sanity of Christ. And we're going to go over here to the comm station where we actually get uh, messages from people. It's good if you're a mad scientist to stay in touch with the real world. Our first note comes from uh, Abigail Falanga. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. You've been in the comm station a few times. We'll let you back in because your stuff is good. Uh, you replied to my revamped. Ha uh-huh. ha get it revamped dracula article pun by laura mccary actually i I wish i'd come up with that but she
1: you own it (laughs) no 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 this is a
0: praiseworthy pun and so is abigail's comment is also praiseworthy and it's worth reading at length my article was about how i discovered dracula and why i'm such a raging fanboy about it now and she said quote i read dracula for the first time some years ago as a skeptic and was pleasantly surprised by the depth and awesomeness i found in it It quickly became one of my favorite books. The genuinely Christian elements move it into true excellence. Regarding point three, especially the last paragraph, from my by no means exhaustive reading of Victorian sensational or popular literature, I find that it tends to be more realistic about physical and mental limitations than some modern stories. Men are portrayed as having weaknesses, even as women are, which is all anyone seems to remember, and sometimes deal with severe health issues after their exciting adventures. End quote. Uh, She says more. We'll link that comment in the show notes. I think that's why I enjoy Dracula, not as a story about mad science, but as a story about this uh, paranormal creature who attacks human nature in many of the same ways we've described about mad scientists. The Count and vampires like him are seeking disordered power. Uh, They're trying to change people from the inside out and thereby claim the right of disordered creation. And of course, Dracula and other vampires, rather famously, are undead. Uh, They can live forever, uh, but not the abundant life that Christ promises. Uh, This is uh, in the world of Dracula a satanic counterfeit. And uh, Bram Stoker here, whether or not he's a Christian, we're not sure, but he was at least professing he was a good churchman and all of that. He at least understands deeply Christian themes about resurrection and the ways that vampires or anybody else can take those gifts, try to steal them from God. And use them for evil ends.
1: Well, to you, our listener, if you have enjoyed this discussion about mad scientists and you have some great examples of that in the real world or in the fiction world, especially if you've read Frankenstein and would like to uh, share something about that, uh, we'd love to get your comments. So please send us a note at podcast at lorehaven.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look for Lorehaven. And, uh, you know, use the hashtag fantastical truth to make it, uh, even more apparent to us that you want to comment on this podcast and then, um, subscribe to Lorehaven on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. It's just our podcast episodes, but if that uh, makes it easier for you to listen, especially on a smart TV or something like that, go find Lorehaven on YouTube.
0: Yeah, I actually have been reading uh, Frankenstein in the last uh, week or so. Uh, It's uh, definitely a slower starter than Dracula is. It was uh, written and published about a century earlier. So it's amazing to see uh, the difference in uh, literary styles, uh, even within uh, those comparatively few decades. Uh, Otherwise, I may have cited it a little bit more, but I'm about three or four chapters in, and I still haven't met the monster yet. Just met Victor himself, uh, but there's a lot of setup uh, in that book. Uh, In the future, we may talk about that book, Uh, I'm not sure if Mary Shelley was a Christian. She had a very fascinating backstory, especially mixed up with people who were trying to recreate human relationships even a few centuries ago. Uh, That's a terrible attempt at mad social science that's been going on for a while. uh, And it's really interesting to get the backstory for that. But anyway, another future episode, other future episodes coming up. Uh, Once Monster Month ends, uh, we're going to move into a series uh, more focused on dystopia. That's as political as we're going to get on Fantastical Truth, uh, talking about dystopian literature, which kind of makes that series a spiritual sequel to this episode, uh, because mad scientists almost always end up being involved with some kind of dystopia, uh, whether private or at the large scale. Uh, You're going to find somebody cackling in their secret lab uh, in partnership with an evil government. So we'll be talking about those stories uh, throughout November. Got it all planned out. Should be interesting. Uh, that's meanwhile at Lorehaven. You can also see the best feedback we've had about Dracula, our ongoing book quest, by joining the Lorehaven Guild. It's not too late. If you're a fast reader, you can catch up, or if you're open to spoilers, uh, you can see all of these different posts, uh, one for each chapter, and then bonus discussions about the amazing themes in this book. Only in the Lorehaven Guild—it's our exclusive Discord server. You can subscribe free at lorehaven.com. We will email you the invitation code. Uh, Exclusive access for you. You can also get any Lore Haven updates you choose that away Uh, Like our last review on our previous uh, Friday, that was of Jessica Sly's spooky novel, A Promise of Deception. Great timing there. Great review. Uh, Next, we are reviewing a non spooky book, uh, the new Nadine Brandis fantasy novel, Wish Tress. That's coming up the Friday after this episode releases. And then coming soon after, uh, we're going to have another article, Lord willing. Uh, collecting some of the best and uh, most audience-appropriate Christian-made scary stories uh, that you can enjoy being discerning, of course. Uh, Every one of our Lorehaven reviews includes uh, notes about discernment and audience, uh, but also hopefully enjoy the darkness only because it drives you toward the light of Christ. Next on Fantastical Truth, here we go. You've heard about them in sermons here or there. You've seen their name in dozens of Christian-made, fantastical books' back covers. Just type their name in the lorehaven.com search and you'll get a lot of results from those alone. And now, I'm not saying our next Monster for Monster Month is going to be Nephilim, but it was Nephilim join us for this giant controversy in our next episode they get such a quick cameo in genesis 6 but for many christian speculations these critters get a top starring role why who were these critters why do they appear in so many christian fantasy novels and secular novels and i would ask do they even really matter in the grand scheme of the gospel according to the scripture zach and i are actually planning to argue about this one on purpose so Tune in in our next episode of Fantastical Truth and explore the Nephilim. Meanwhile, don't go mad. Sometimes in this mad world, that is easier said than done. But God is not a God of disorder, but of order. He wants our minds to be transformed, not in the mad scientist way, but transformed, changed from outside to be more like Christ. It is only in Christ that we find the truest, the best, the most beautiful origin of power creation and eternity so we need to seek after him not our distortions of his good gifts like science as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth